All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the first ever Giant Size Team Up Network's weightlifting competition. I'm Watson Herbush, joined with Austin Ellison playing Gar. And just to remind everybody, the reason we're even doing this is at the behest of Travis Jones, because he needed to be better at somebody on this network at something. Note, he's not even in this competition. Travis, why aren't you even in this competition? Well, this is Travis Jones, the Blazing Defender Report, and I'm just here to show how weak these guys are in comparison to me. Yes, but if you're not going to be actually in the competition, how are you showing anybody? <laughs> just talk about what they're lifting and you'll know. All right, then. Gar, what do you think of the lineup here? <laughs> They're a bunch of girly men. They're barely lifting anything. Let's just get into them so we can start making fun. <laughs> All right, Gar. First up, we've got the Geek versus Crew. Um, They're doing some sort of bird in the snatch thing where Tony P. Henderson is blindfolded while Casey and Betty sort of tell him what to do. Not sure what they're doing. Not sure how it applies, but... Whatever. It's because they are a bunch of idiots, Watson. <laughs> that is the God's honest truth. Next up, we've got Toy Power lifting tubs of Legos. Uh, that would be impressive, except they're hollow and not very heavy. And yet they're still looking like they're struggling a bit. <laughs> yeah, you surprised? Australians are known for being very weak. It's from all that venom. Those animals over there make them weak all the time. So good it's running away, but they're not so good at picking things up and putting them down. For FDH Beyond, we've got Kurt, and he's bench-pressing women while he sings. Uh-oh, it seems we have a mishap here. Some moisture has gotten onto Kurt's hand, and he's slipped, and all the women have fallen directly onto his face. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's really upset about it too much. Ah, oh, he's dead. Ah, I guess it's, you know, it's important not to have that much weight fall right directly on your neck. Oops, carry on. For much podcast, we've got Tristan Gibbon. Very impressive as he lifts kegs of beer. Uh-oh. I think he's going to be disqualified as he seems to be drinking the beer out of the kegs, making the weight slowly go down over time. That's going to cost him. Uh, yeah, I bet I could beat him in a stump competition like it's nothing. <laughs> All right, we're down to the last two members of this competition. Charles, the rock god of podcasting. My god, have you ever seen man lift that many chicken wings? Yeah, he's got a bathtub of them, but they're just between his legs and he's just lifting them one at a time like a dumbbell to his mouth. He's not even ripping the meat off the bones. He's just eating the whole thing, just swallowing it. At least chew it. Goddamn savage. Next up, we've got Pokemon Joe from the Pokemon Go podcast and he's lifting... Who even knows how many golden plates? God, that's gotta be some kind of a record. No, gold's pretty lightweight, actually. It also is a pager, so it's a very thin. It's not even anything impressive. Next, not impressed. Now, before we get to the winner, I just want to ask you, what you think of this whole competition? Really, give me your insight. You know, ins and outs, deep thoughts, reflections, that sort of thing. Uh, it's fine, I guess. Well, thanks, Gar. That's, that's something. And last up, for breaking the panel, we've got Philip Keating... Bench pressing Paul Klotz. It's a very impressive feat, considering how much Paul weighs. Yeah, fizz lifting Paul like he carries that show. <laughs> it's awful. And it looks like Philip Keating is the winner. Head on over to www.giantsizeteamup.com and decide for yourselves. This is Watson Herbush and Gar signing off. <laughs> Bye. Why are you doing that stupid voice? Like, seriously. It's so dumb. You're so white and skinny. It's not... No, just, just turn the mic off. These days, the comic book owns pop culture. You'll find it all in the panel of your favorite comic book. Us, we're living the comic's life. We're breaking the panel. Welcome to Breaking the Panel, where we talk about all the awesome things that happened in the news and some of the not-so-awesome stuff. I'm the Rock God of Podcasting, Charles McFall. 
Riding shotgun like we haven't done in a long time. My uh, podcast life partner, Paul Klotz. Hey, buddy. Does that, does that make Sean jealous? Does he feel the service in the force that I call you my podcast life partner? Is he going to come in and be like, look, this is my man. No, we're hetero life mates. It's fine. Oh, okay. I just confused. I'm just checking. You know. yeah. Love you, man. No worries. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So by the time this goes out, I'm going to go ahead and open with this quick announcement. By the time this goes out, it will be public. Uh, the Dragon Con digital media track submissions is now open. You can go to, it's still the old URL. I did buy the new one, but I haven't put it up yet. But dragonconpodcast.com, you can go there and you can submit uh, for a panel at DragonCon. And uh, where I got a Discord server and all this jazz, it's really cool stuff. Do it. So uh, uh, I think that's why Phil's not here. He is he is filling the submission list as we speak because he wanted to be first and, and get he's filling something. I'm sure. <laughs> Phil says he's sick today. Now I'm gonna give him a little shit because I know he's gonna listen. I mean, Chris Wisdom, we know he ain't gonna listen, but Phil will listen. He hits us up what this morning and says uh, it's seven eight o'clock this morning. Yeah, I'm out tonight, man. I've been up all night sick. I'm thinking, bitch, you got all day to sleep. Cause does it. You can do it. Get your ass up. And come on the show. Hey, hey, I don't sleep during the day lately. Okay. I've been good. No, I've been very, you know, not that you're late. It's, it's a sleep cycle thing. Now we're, now we're just getting an inside podcast host baseball bullshit right now. So let's pull this one back. But no, I, that was not a slam on Klotz. Klotz just has different circadian rhythms sometimes. And that's all I'm saying. They you show up rotate, for the show. They rotate extremely inconveniently. That's <laughs> You know what else can be? extremely extremely inconvenient netflix prices man netflix is hiking its price isn't that a load of bullshit no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that was an obvious uh hopefully an obvious satirical uh lead into we both gotta agree on this and we're gonna run roughshod over this headline why don't you take lead sir yeah, uh, so basic breakdown here is uh we're looking at a slight increase to essentially every tier um customers can expect a one to two dollar per month rise depending on their plan of choice the basic plans will go from eight to nine uh the next tier which includes high def streaming and multiple devices will jump from 11 to 13 and (laughs) this gizmodo article claims that no one uses the other tier uh will jump up to 16 instead of 14 which will oh make it cost Oh, my Lord and Jesus. How oh, oh, let me clutch my pearls. <laughs> so, you, you know, people mention this, and it's like, like uh, a friend of the show, Dr. Ucell, hit me up this morning. He's like, what do you think of the Netflix price hike? And I was like, and then I looked at it, and I was like, it's a dollar? Why is this even, why yeah. are we talking about this? I'm uh, trying to look up when the last time they raised their prices. I mean, so so the thing is, services like this are going to occasionally have to increase prices. We know this. Like, yes, absolutely. Because of, you know, reality and inflation, like, yeah. you know, as time goes on. Uh, we also know that Netflix has a tremendous amount of debt that they'd probably like to start paying down. Uh, they they have gone through if they're not still in the tail end of it, a massive expansion, you know, yeah. expanse effort that has, they've funded dozens of shows and movies 
and bought small projects and stuff like that. And we're going to talk about it later, but Bandersnatch. Dude, <laughs> the technology, all that. Nobody else is doing that. Only Netflix. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. So um, this Gizmodo article from uh, Brian Menegas, he, uh, he claims that uh, this is another reason to consider if it's worth over $100 a year to half-heartedly leave. <laughs> Zumbo's just desserts on for hours at a time, but he he tries to claim that um love Zumbo. Shut up, man. He tries to claim that this is like not worth it, and that the the selection is decreasing. And I'm like, increasingly poor collection of titles. I don't see how that's accurate at all. It's it's been better than it ever has been. Yep. Every year we get more original programming, and it's great. We see stuff that might not be available on typical uh, networks here in the States become available. For example, BBC. Yeah. A lot of British content gets brought over through Netflix. Not all of it. A lot. Actually the vast majority of BBC stuff goes through uh, Amazon now, but not all of it. Yeah. And, and let's be real here. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get most people are buying the multiple devices. $11 $11 plan right now, the high def streaming with multiple devices and you're sharing it. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Every, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. I don't cause I have a lot of devices. I'm like, now you can't my pass. But like everybody, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's a little dicky line. Like I get Netflix logins from my cousin, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Uh, I do love this. That, that line you referenced here, but it's going up. Uh, and the the tier, talking about the, the cost here, right? And the one absolutely no one pays for will cost $16 each month instead of 14 Make it even more costly than HBO Now. Okay, one of the tier was more costly than HBO Now because that was a $8 app, I think it Something is. Like that. Yeah, oh. so you're stupid. Secondly, almost everybody pays for that tier, including – captain dingo over here because i need that i don't need but i want the high def and i want the multi-device and you're talking about a month of content that you yourself curate with their assistance commercial free for 16 dollars for the for the price of a movie ticket for an adult at, at on opening weekend for the average movie he means a single movie not a date night oh movie ticket a film a single film Yes. I mean, come on, man. Like, comparing this to cable? Yeah. I haven't had my fingers inside of a cable's uh, service, you know, back end in a long time. (laughs) I love my (laughs) phrase for all of that. Uh, But last I looked, like, the minimum package you could get to even come close to the kind of content that is on Netflix is $60, $70, $80 a month. Right. Like, you're, you're... Okay. You're killing me, dude. Like, you're killing me with this. All right. First off, when I finally talked my wife into leaving satellite, we'd left cable behind a long time ago. Satellite would have been better. This is uh, early 2000s, I think mm-hmm. it is. I don't think – yeah, I think it was after – yeah, we're married. So, early 2000s. And um, I'm like, yeah, you know, cord cutting is a thing. I'm telling you, Hulu's getting better every day. We're already getting Netflix in the mail, and we're getting Netflix streaming, and blah, blah, blah. And, and she finally went, how much would it be? Because it was going to be at that time like 30 to $40 total for both Hulu and Netflix because we immediately bought the ad-free plan as we could. Uh, so it was free for a while, but then we had $8, whatever. 
and we're paying that, that's like 40 which we're already paying for by the way we had both of those services already our satellite bill kept going up every three months and when she finally canceled it is because we had one of the most minimal packages you could get and still watch something worthwhile and it was almost 200 dollars a month now i technically have cable in my house because i have comcast internet and to get the speeds that i want to do this show i had to bundle it with cable which lowered it so i'm i'm paying roughly 70 bucks a month to get really good internet and they had, for whatever reason, they threw cable in with it that we don't watch. So, yeah, if I didn't get the internet, if I didn't bundle it, the internet would have been almost $100 a month. And I think the basic cable package is around 60 So, it's weird. Their bundle's weird. But that's to your point of $100 a year. Cots, do you drink coffee out? Occasionally. Occasionally. I drink coffee out occasionally. My favorite is uh, Venti uh, uh, Mocha, sorry, Caramel Macchiato. Uh, Venti Caramel Macchiato at Starbucks. That's $5 and change at my local Starbucks. And I do it maybe once a month. Most people get their coffee at least twice a week because I make my own coffee. I drink coffee every day, but I only buy it out a few times. You know what I'm saying? You'll hit a drive through. I'm sure everybody in their own life, if you thought hard long enough, you'll find something you don't need to do that you could do cheaper, hitting McDonald's, drive through, whatever, that just on, ah, screw it, I'm going to do this right now, money. You spend more than $16 a month. You know? If you watch even one show, like one season of a show in a month, you yes. have gotten your, more than your money's worth. because. For example, on Amazon, to buy an entire season for most shows is at least $25. So anything that's not available is part of Prime. Uh, Amazon Prime is a comparable price, but the, I mean, and I, I have I got nothing but praise for Prime because Prime offers a different selection than Netflix. Uh, Prime has benefits outside of just being a streaming service. You know, because you have Amazon Prime itself and that gets you access to, you know, free shipping and all that kind of stuff um, and, and Twitch Prime. Speaking of which, if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, please, please go to twitch.tv slash FTH Beyond and give us your free sub if, you haven't, if you're not already giving it to somebody yeah, else. Absolutely. We really, really, really appreciate it. I'm going to talk more about streaming at the end of the show. Yes. But it came up organically. I promise this wasn't an elaborate plug. Uh, it popped up. I had to touch it. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to that later. But yeah, like the, a dollar is not a huge hike. Um, this is not getting anywhere near like the like. I'm not going to summon the monster, but and uh, I'm you know saying. that uh, that other service that offered you movie tickets. I mean, it it's still a deal compared to that even. Yeah. So I don't understand what any potential belly aching is about. If it had gone up three or four dollars per tier, you know, and as much as like five dollars at the higher tier, that's a pretty significant jump. That's a jump that really adds up. I'd still argue that it's a good value at that point, And I think you should be on it. Like if you if you appreciate what is available to you on Netflix, you should be fine with it. But it's it is a noticeable jump and not everybody can budget for that. So I get that. Um, but it, we're, that's not what we're facing. We're, we're, no. we're facing a, a, a price hike that is so small that you won't notice that that dollar is gone. 
every month. Yeah, you know I, mean? I don't remember if Netflix made the joke themselves or somebody else just made the joke and it became a meme and flew around. But it was talking about, uh, I want to say Bandersnatch, over 250,000 people around the world are watching it right now. And then the, the funny part is, oddly enough, it's only on 25 accounts. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many people sharing accounts with and each Netflix other. And Netflix has actually leaned into that. And so at one point, I remember yeah. them as a company essentially going, sure, do it. Be that, you know, mm-hmm. get them in. There's, uh, you know, obviously there's limits, you know, you can only have so many simultaneous devices and everything. Uh, I do know that you can occasionally run into, cause I'll be honest with you, the account that we use here in the house, which is Sean's, some of our friends have access to it. And every once in a while we've bumped into, there are too many devices streaming at this time. And you know what? And, and it's only happened like twice ever because we all watch stuff at different times. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's happened like twice ever. And I'm like, fuck it. I'll go watch something else. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, cause we, I mean, we also have Hulu. We also have Amazon prime, you know? So, cause we don't, well, until recently we didn't have cable TV. So it was like, I had no reason to, you know, to, to, to bellyache cause I couldn't watch the one thing. So yeah, if you're in a similar position, you're probably sharing your account or you're probably getting shared on somebody else's account. Um, Nobody should be really upset about this. The the value is there. Uh, they Netflix has consistently rotated in decent films. Maybe not cutting edge like just came out now films, but there are some classics that rotate in. Yeah, I know. I just watched uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels the other day. Yeah, so I good. was I was so stoked to see that it was on Netflix. I, I was yeah. I watched that. Had a good time. That's one of my favorite films from the late nineties absolutely love it was happy to see it on there uh similarly i watched the last dragon a couple months ago i was so happy to see that on there you know it, every once in a while i'm i'm going through the scroll and i see a classic film it's usually a cult classic that i'm just blown away that is available i probably don't own it on blu-ray or dvd and i'm just like hell yeah i, I want to watch it i want to watch that while it's available so yeah, I, I really do think anybody bellyaching about this price hike is not really getting a good perspective on the value they get already. Right. And this is the history, a little bit of history on it, I found, uh, because I didn't see it today. You brought it to the table. And fortunately, I think maybe the people I now surround myself with get it. Value for value. Let's keep Netflix alive and, and pay money and blah, blah, blah. But the last time this happened, my, my feed blew up with people going – just raging against Netflix over the same thing as a dollar. And I'm about to read the article here. I got the date and everything. And, uh, you there. And I, I basically confronted a lot of people after I chewed their asses because I'm like, it's, it's seriously, what is wrong with you that you want to take from a company so much that you'll put them under instead of paying a dollar. That's just dumb. So this is dated October 5th, 2017 is when the last Netflix price went up. And it's raising the price of its $9.99 month of plan, uh, which lets you go on two devices to $10.99. The $11.99 for four streams went up to $13.99. And the entry-level $7.99 plan will stay the same. That was a year and a half ago. Well, yeah. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. You know? And in that time, I mean, we didn't obviously research this, and maybe we should. It might improve the show. But uh, uh, we could we could roughly found out how many new contracts that means shows like The Office and Friends and how many uh, new movies came on 
and how many uh, uh, originals were produced in that same time frame. And there's no one that can compare to that number. You know, it's stupid low. So yeah, I pay. I, I get the four strings. Charles, pay the crap out of it. Yes, sir. Ain't nobody tuning into this show for accurate research. <laughs> That's probably true. If, if anything, they they really hope that we don't do our digging so that they can write in. Ah, yes. Know, and I can still find a way to tell them they're wrong. <laughs> we'll always justify somehow. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and in 2011 and 2015, or when the previous two break hikes were. So 2011... 2015, 17, 19. 2011 feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's funny because I remember, you know, the late aughts watching Hulu when it first came out and it was mostly free at the time. There were only a handful of shows that you had to yes. pay to see. Because I remember watching Castle in its first couple of seasons on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I've, you know, we've had Netflix forever, almost essentially since the streaming became available and i've watched so much shit on netflix over the years um yeah no i mean it's if you don't like it cancel it but definitely don't complain about the price for value right it would take for what we get i mean my kids watch all the kids and the thing is the tech on it is not i mean it's not just banner says it's amazing the fact that they curate for kids and, mm -hmm. and age ranges at that not just kids and adults but you know um it just, I get so much out of it that it would, they'd have to go a long, I don't know what the number is, but they have to go a long way up before I go, I, it's just not worth it anymore. So, you know, I'm with Klotz. You don't like it, cancel it, but it's a dollar, man. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, so speaking of canceling things, EA thought Star Wars was a Netflix show and they canceled it. I, I didn't even know they were working on another Star Wars. Well, with. yeah. So this, thought, uh, um, fuck, what's the name of that? Battlefront Two. I thought that pretty much tanked the Star Wars franchise and games for a hot minute. Well, not entirely. Uh, so basically, this was a game that was in development originally with Visceral Games, and when uh, it was shut down they moved development of the game that's visceral games was shut down. They moved development to the Vancouver office for EA. Um, and yeah, so they basically, they killed this and they're not super saying why. Um, they, they killed a, a, another title in the past. I suspect this is pure speculation here. Um, I haven't done a lot of deep digging on this topic, but I mean, everybody's going to be talking about this because it's, it's high profile. It's going to go on for a while too. Yeah. My, my gut here is Star Wars is kind of a poisoned well right now. Between the controversy surrounding the films, the lackluster performance of Solo, which I again say was not really its own fault. Um, Thanks, Obama. The, the tanked you know, <laughs> come on, that's worth something. <laughs> thank you. I, I, thank uh, the the less than stellar performance of Battlefront Two, as you mentioned. Um, there there are people in the community that are unhappy with the direction of the new Star Wars films. Right or wrong, we're not weighing in on that at this time. 
You got me, Dennis. Uh, <laughs> there are people who are frustrated with Disney's direction as a whole since they took over the franchise. There are further people who distrust and are frustrated with EA. And so when you combine all of those things and you look at a project that, that EA is dumping millions into to develop a game for a franchise that is toxic as fuck right now, it probably makes sense to just shelve it. Um, I cannot see anybody bringing a Star Wars product to market right now that is not going to get hyper-scrutinized, that is not going to get picked apart from top to bottom. For and I mean, that that's the culture of the gaming community right now. They are looking for any crack in your project to, to call you out for because people want blood. People are frustrated. People are upset. I'm not saying it's valid or not. I think some people have some pretty rational reasons for feeling betrayed by the gaming, you know, the sure. game publishers sure. as a, as a broad stroke. Um, but I definitely think there's a whole slew of people out there, particularly young gamers, gamers who haven't been around for 10, 15 years playing a lot of these games from a lot of these studios that are just super bitter and, they just the ev- nothing is good enough. Nothing will be good enough. There, there's always something that is going to disgust them and make them come out of the woodwork and rant and rave about. And sometimes monetization, sometimes it's design, sometimes it's bugs. What you know, you name it. Yeah. Um, I cannot see putting out a major project like that right now. Now, the other flip side of this, I think, is. Um, the licensing's probably got to be super expensive and they probably had an out on the back end where if they bailed now, they didn't have to pay out as much. Um, maybe some contract contract terms are coming to an end or whatever. I'm, I'm unsure. But if you told me that EA was looking to bring a Star Wars game to market in the next year or two, I would be like, that is ill-advised because I, I don't know that it even could have a chance to succeed. Um, it's just that's the market right now. That's that's the public perception. Um, now, I'll put my hands up in the air here for those who can't see me. <laughs> for those who are <laughs> the caveat to that is obviously like Reddit, YouTube, Twitter, social media in general, Facebook. It is a snapshot of a much, much larger customer base. And the views of the vocally engaged do not represent the broad yeah wide wide scope however it's easier to hear vomit than it is to hear a slow however i i I will argue and i've always argued that that snapshot is still valid because that snapshot becomes the public perception for anybody who googles it who bumps into it organically through social media you know what i mean when it comes up in conversation, you're going to enter, you're going to bump into the opinions of these people who are super engaged, super on top of this stuff and care enough about it to waste time on the internet yelling at each other. And I'm one of those people. (laughs) I'm so, um, they might even play Pokemon go anymore. (laughs) I said that for a while. And they, they, they called my bluff. Pokemon go is a good example of a game that majorly turned the corner. Uh, you know, last year was a phenomenal year for that game. 
because they listened to, cu- to, to community feedback. They listened to why people were bailing because the people who stuck around were like, yeah, none of my friends play and this is why. They listened to all that stuff and they found reasons to bring people back in and they, they did a whole bunch of content that was focused on getting new people re-engaged or people who were coming back re-engaged and it was a master stroke. It was a really good recovery. I, I have nothing but praise for Niantic on, on how they handled that because they were very in my opinion, they were very close to having the bottom fall out on their game. Yeah, yeah. A, po- a Pokemon game at the height of Pokemon. You know what I mean? Like the 20 year anniversary mm-hmm. was when it came out in 2016. It was huge. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and EA is not got a stellar record for treating games correctly and, and franchises. And then, like you said, I, and part of the reason why the, the well is poisoned is, is I'm sure many, many reasons. But two big reasons is maybe the studio doesn't always listen and try to do its own thing. And the fandom for Star Wars is so toxic right now. It's a fucking yeah. years repeat. Um, it's just horrible. Uh, but but in general, if you tell me, hey, there's a Star Wars game coming out, I'm like, okay, sure. Because I just – it could be me, but also it's been some – I think partially it's been lackluster games since Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, that was, and even then, I, it never grabbed me enough for me to finish the game. But it, I, I fondly remember that game. But I just, it, it's, it's an IP that most people license to ride the power of the IP, and they don't yeah. put the time in to make it worth it. I agree. Completely. So, Kotor is a is a great example. Uh, that was a game that took one of the deepest, you know, one of the franchises with the deepest world they possibly could and dove all the way into it. It was a good RPG. They created this immersive RPG that was everything Star Wars and people loved it. And then KOTOR 2 comes around and it's a chop job. It's hastily put out. It's rushed. It's partially incomplete. You know, it, it took it took community patches to make it playable in some instances. It took community patches to shore up some of the weaknesses in the late game. Now, and, let's explain that real quick. What, if I understand this right, like patches when people like me and you go, we can fix this. Here's yeah. here's a free patch, and the company itself couldn't patch it or did. Yeah, uh, it's the, basically that's bad. Yeah, basically, yeah, nobody wanted to touch it for a while, so the community developed their own patches for it. And then we got a definitive overall thing that kind of finished it off, if you will, and had some new content, but that was about it. If I'm remembering the timetable correctly, my, my you know, dates and stuff might be off a sure. little bit, but basically that's the gist of it. Um, since then, virtually everything that's been put out is, has been low effort comparatively. Um, with the sole exception of, uh, Star Wars, the old Republic, the MMO Star Wars, the old Republic, the initial effort put into that game, which is an EA, EA Bioware game. Tremendous. The, the initial setup, the initial world and everything, they knocked it out of the park. The, The fact that there are like, I forget how many stories there's like, Oh, I want to say six or eight classes on each side, each faction, and uh, elite. There's a there's at least four different stories on each side because I think a lot of classes double up. 
So there are, for lack of a better way to put it, four, you know, four or more AAA games worth of storyline in each faction of the Old Republic. And they were great. Uh, all, some of them were great. Uh, the one I started with, I played Light Side initially. I played the Jedi Shadow, which got the Consular storyline, which was shared with the Sage. And that was a shit pile for my class because I was playing an assa- like a, a noble assassin type. Okay. And <laughs> That's like a contradiction, but all right. Well, yeah, but it, and it was a shit show of diplomacy. It was all like, go around and deal with these five or six Jedi Masters and deal with their bullshit, and you could kill them or you could, you know, reason with them. I killed them because I chose all dark side choices. (laughs) Oh, I had the evilest, evilest Jedi Shadow ever because I wanted to play dark side, but all my friends wanted to play light side. So I was, I begrudgingly chose dark side all the time. Um yeah, it was a really bad story. I'm not going to get into it any further. Uh, but some of the other stories were great. Uh, a couple of years ago, I want to say 2015, 2016 maybe, I went back and played again for a little while because some of my friends did. And I did the uh, the Sith Marauder, no, Sith, yeah, Sith Warrior story. And it was fucking amazing. It was so cool. It was so fun. It was badass. It was everything that you expected out of it. You know what I mean? It was. I had a really great time. But all the stuff that's come out, in recent years, it's decent. There's decent pieces to it here or there, but it's not an MMO anymore. And the story is really disconnected from what it originally was. And it's kind of become its own. It's like pseudo Star Wars now. It's like, okay. uh, it's this whole thing. Um, but anyways, other than that, everything's been pretty garbagey. Um, even the original Battlefront games were, they were cool for what they were and for the era that they came out. But they were just call of duty star wars you know what i mean yeah oh yeah absolutely and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but they're they're in there yes and no because some people just want to become a stormtrooper and shoot rebels and and vice versa and i get they'll never hit shit yeah well yeah (laughs) um i know what you're saying i got you but so one of my other favorite sci-fi franchises is the warhammer 40,000 universe and they have a game called space marine because space marines are the main like focal point of the whole series, the whole setting, um, which takes an, an ultramarine captain and it's a first person shooter where it's a horde shooter where you just go through and you, you kill all these orcs, space orcs. And it's amazing. Every, everybody who likes 40 K who's played it is like, this game was so dope. It was really, it was cool. Cause it was a, a story driven narrative game kind of like if you play doom with a story like a solid story to it. actual story to Doom. yeah yeah well but in this case warhammer um it but everybody was like it ended too soon and the developer didn't do any follow-up work on it like they they released nothing after the fact and it was a real bummer in that regard and there was no sequel or anything like that uh possibly because it didn't sell well enough if you did something like that with Star Wars, where you had a narrative-driven, even if it was a first-person game, it could be amazing. It would be so cool to, you know, maybe become a stormtrooper, like start off as a trainee or a cadet, and you know, work your way up to being a full-fledged stormtrooper. And then it would be incredible if there were RPG elements where they they we go through something similar to what Finn was represented to go through in Force Awakens. You know, where it's like, 
I'm the bad guy. Oh shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, and it would be cool to, to be forced to address moral dilemmas and figure out how you're going to, you know, handle that stuff. That could be an incredible game if done right. They kind of almost tried that with force and least, you know, running around the start, mm-hmm. you're their apprentice, but it's not nearly as good as what you're describing i, mean, I forgot about force crazy. unleashed actually for star killer was cool and it was it was but it, it doesn't hold up at all the second one was god awful yeah. first one was decent but being at the time it was controls are hard and it didn't yeah. flow like it. i played the first one i remember it having cool story points occasionally but it was brought down in a game that was full of a lot of chase yeah, yeah. yes yes it, it, it was God, generic action shooter with a Star Wars skin. And a few, like I said, a few good story moments, a few good choices, but not not anything like that would affect anything. I'm gonna speak to something that you and I have both dabbled with a little bit, but I don't think any of us have got either of us have gotten very far. Titanfall two. One uh, of the praises for Titanfall two is that it has a story mode that's actually exceptional. And it teaches you how to do it and it unlocks stuff for you and the stuff. Yeah. Right. I, I, it was great. I, did I tell you? I think I did. I met the voice of uh, Pilot. Oh, that's cool. I was on a show with him, and I was like, oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yes, Titanfall 2. But that's yeah. another example of a game that was obviously released to focus on multiplayer, but had a campaign, and it was great. And it's also an example of a game that went to discount within, like, six months, and nobody bought it. Yeah. But, yeah. That's yeah. Us. You and I bought it. <laughs> right. Well, I bought it for $10. So. Yeah. Ain't nobody made any money off that. <laughs> no, not really. But and, uh, yeah, and I hate playing those those because uh, uh, it's not MMO. It, it's uh, MMO. What, what's the version where you and I played together? It is kind of MMO, right? Massive multiplayer online. Yeah. Computer. Okay. I don't typically like those because honestly, it's a lot of jumping and twitch shooting, and and it's not my speed. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I kept going. Hey man, let's play another one. Let's play another one, and you know, learn and. There's different scenarios and how to do it, and we play the we play the co-op one, and we play the everybody gets there or the capture the flag one. I, I the mechanics were great, which to me, the reason I brought it up, it says something about a game that I hate MMO shooters, just can't stand. Yeah. And that, I love that, that game. Yeah, yeah, I genuinely enjoyed it because, and I hate mech games because usually there's so much to remember and do, and it was just complicated enough to feel deep, and not so complicated that I felt overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I would love to play a game that was functionally similar to Titanfall 2 set in Star Wars. All right. I would love to crawl into an ATST and wander around on a battlefield shooting, you know, rebels, rebel scum. I would love, yeah, and I know you can do some of that stuff in Battlefront, uh, Battlefront 2 at least, but it's not the same. And the big thing that bogged, battlefront two down initially was the whole microtransaction driven stuff yeah the the grind aspect of it and i don't know man i think you need to lean narrative star wars is about story like people love star wars because of the characters because of the story because of the world we've talked about that before how the expanded universe you know the what is now called uh uh legends oh yeah the the stuff is not canon anymore right all the but that in the late 90s, like mid or early mid to late 90s, 
the Star Wars universe got massively expanded by all of these authors creating oh, these so awesome good. stories yeah. in the in the universe and really fleshing stuff out and and going into the nooks and crannies. We need games that do that. We need games that explore the nooks yeah. and crannies. And and you, the listening audience, who maybe never read read any of the Star Wars books, is still affecting you because in uh, what the last I think it was the last one that had the the dreadnought right. Mm-hmm. That that's specifically from a universe expanded book called Dreadnought, where it's actually uh, slightly different, but it was a planet killer. It was, but it was a yeah. fleet of them that was a force driven. So one person could essentially command a fleet if if they commanded the force. Yeah. Um, so it's so cool, great story. And when I saw that show up in that movie, I was like, I know what that is. I know it's not canon, so they reintroduced my, my point is, go enjoy. And if your gaming is your way, we don't have that in gaming right now. And with Glots, we need to get that. There, I look at you. I'm going to talk about these later. Nice. But I, I'm fanning uh, X-Wing novels, paperbacks, in front of my face that I picked oh, up. Oh, speaking of X-Wing, one of the best Star Wars games ever. Mm-hmm. X-Wing back in the early 90s. I mean, those, do those games really hold up Probably. by modern standards? Not entirely, but they're still great for the era. Uh, and there was good story in, in X-Wing, in the X-Wing, a Rebel Assault in the X-Wing series. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, Legends thing ever was um, the TIE Phantom that came out of, I think it was Rebel Assault 2. Where, you know, the stealth TIE. Yeah. It was such a cool, you know, and I was you know, playing on a PC in the late nineties, geeking out over that. I was like, this is insane. And yeah, I mean, we need more of that. We need a return to that. But then again, maybe the audience out there doesn't care about that, but I I think they do. And I think that's part of what's missing from anything star Wars related these days, pretty much across the board, even the merchandise. Like I look at a lot of the merchandise and I'm just like, there's no heart or soul in this. It's just, yeah. They're just frapping the logos on stuff. Uh, with the with the sole exception, perhaps, of Lego. Lego Star Wars has been great. Uh, not every set's a winner. Uh, in particular, there was a really contentious set from uh, uh, Last Jedi of the you know that you remember the um, the the half built Walker chicken yeah. Walker that uh, BB-8 takes control of. That's a set, and everyone's like, "Why the fuck am I going to spend forty dollars for half a Walker?" And does it have a BB-8 figure? It does, but like, come on, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. People that want what would have been amazing is if they b- gave you a fully built walker that had a transformative component where you took off like a whole part of it, and then it was perfectly like preset to be the one for BB-8. That would have been a slam dunk. Uh, they did not do that, and so a lot of people panned the one I'm talking about. But anyways, that's not the point. Um. Talking about bad ideas, though, because that's kind of, it sounds like yeah. this was a bad idea. I got a bad idea movie I'm going to pitch you right now, Klotz. I want to take, like, a, a guy, right? I want a half-naked dude to run around this entire movie, but he's got to be like a wrestler, kind of tall, Billy Ray Cyrus hair. We're going to make him a bit of a redneck, give him a hay, hay fork to run around with. But I promise you, if you let me do this stupid-ass movie, it'll make a billion dollars. So you, you're saying a half-naked hillbilly man. Yep. But he's got a grunt and single mono, monosyllabic, right? He's got to be like a wrestler. With a, with a pitchfork. Yep. Um, 
Sure. Fuck it. Why not? Go ahead. You know, and somebody at WB said the same damn thing <laughs> and it worked because I, I was specifically with Hillbilly because I remember, I, th- I think it was you we were talking about uh, the Justice previews League. of Justice League and you're like, why is he such a redneck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was a little worried about him, like, surfing on the Batmobile, being like, yeah. And that was fair. And some of the clips, I mean, some of the clips, he very much comes off that way, right? And we're talking about Aquaman, of course. And yeah, I was real worried about it being deep, deep sea hee-haw. <laughs> and there are definitely some moments. I mean, out of the, the class of heroes, because we just watched it again the other day. It's, it's on. Netflix, you can watch it right now. It's awesome. Uh, but we were watching it the other day, and yeah, I mean, in the battles, he is very hee haw. We're very mm-hmm. yeah, come here, boy. Yeah, you know, it's like wow, man. But then they kind of mellow him out and they give him some better looks. But I have yet to see it. But by all accounts, this Aquaman single standalone film is excellent. It's amazing, and it's made more than a billion dollars right now. I've said from the beginning, it's a fun movie. It's a spectacle. It's not the best comic film that's been made in recent years. Not even, It's nowhere near an Infinity War. But if you enjoy good, dumb superhero fun, it, you could do much worse than Aquaman. It's worth your while. And for you, Charles, try to sneak out and see it while it's still on the big screen because the the, the underwater... The, the the Lord of the Ring the the under the sea Lord of the Rings gotcha. at the end is so epic in scope that you have to see it in a theater like it was it was incredible um, a little nonsensical but in a good way and you could see everything that was happening unlike a Michael Bay film so you'll be astonished <laughs> that all these things you'll see. Uh- oh man yeah no it's it's awesome that aquaman's doing so well and uh hopefully this uh inspires warner brothers and dc to do more fun light-hearted films in their you know expanded universe uh, i from what i understand like the justice league other than the wonder woman film that's still coming out i from what i understand everything else is on hold that's um, what I've heard. Even the Batman has been. Yeah, I believe Batman's pretty much done. Uh, and, and I'm specifically referencing just the Justice League stuff, not um, not the Harley project, not Suicide Squad, any of that stuff. I'm talking about that's just, attached. Yeah, that's a yeah, just just the uh, the Justice League related stuff. My understanding. Uh, I think now's a good time to bring Green Lantern back. Probably. Yeah. With Aquaman doing so well, if you do it, if you get it with somebody who loves it, brings a different take to it. Uh, absolutely, and I held up on the video. I held up four fingers a minute ago because this is the fourth highest-grossing film, maybe comic book film. I can't remember. I don't have that part open to me. It's either film or comic book film in China ever. Wow. Yeah, uh, but it is on the heels. It is on the the virtual heels of Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises made 1.084 billion with a B. Aquaman now is sitting on 1.020 billion. So it is it is right there. And um I did kind of because last Sunday I knew I was gonna be home uh without the family and this and that. And I do a gig every Sunday in a, a, a movie theater, and they've always said, Hey, if you really want to see something, you're more than welcome to stay and see it, you know, whatever, we're all good. And 
they didn't have Aquaman. It's a small little artsy theater, and they will have it, but the big blockbusters come through and go out pretty quickly. And I mean, they get replaced with stuff like uh, uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy ran back to back. Casablanca is going to have a theater run here soon, and, uh, which I'll probably get to see that because I love that movie. But anyway, I was going to try to see it, so I might. Uh, I'm seeing our good friend Tony P. Henderson on Saturday, and we're doing lunch. I might see if he wants to go see Aquaman. <laughs> we'll make it a date. There you go. Uh, with that, that'll that'll be fun. Uh, I am happy. I am super stoked about this because it keeps DC alive. And for you fanboys out there, like, why let it die? It sucks because if it dies, it may not come back for a very long time. Right? I mean, when the Batman franchise died it took almost a decade to get anything else i mean it wasn't just batman when batman died because of that horrendous studio film they put out that i just fucking hate the last one they put out i don't even like talking about it it killed all comic book films there was there was a very dry spell for almost a decade of nothing in the geek world and then marvel went we're gonna take a chance and if you watch the documentary that came out after Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, uh, and it, well, it came out after Avengers, but the, the documentary covers the path of Iron Man and the, the risk up through the announcement of Avengers, the first Avengers film, mm-hmm. and and the risk and and the fact that they thought this will either make us or break us. I mean, and if it didn't work, it, the Marvel Studios we've done for it forever. You know that that's what started all this back up, and for mm-hmm. two years now it's been running strong. Warner Brothers is still struggling. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy that I would, this movie is doing well. I I would go so far as to to guess, to assume, if you will, if the MCU didn't work out the way it did, not only would it have been the end of Marvel films, it would have been the yeah. end of Marvel itself. I yeah. really strongly think that the Marvel comic side has been buoyed by the success of these films, and it's probably the only thing keeping them afloat. Um, I don't know if they'll ever come out and admit to it, but it absolutely feels like we got nothing to lose. If this doesn't work, we're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. This is a Hail Mary. I don't and, know that they were facing what they faced in the past. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think, know either. Yeah. I don't know that it was that dire yet, but it, it, I, I'd have to look at, you know, obviously I'd have to have access to numbers I probably don't have access to, but basically I cannot see how in this increasingly digital age they could have survived everything that's been going on in, in publishing and the change in media consumption, if not for these films bringing monumentally increased interest back into the, the franchises. Uh, I just don't see it. I don't see it having maintained. Right. Um, as for the future, you know, I think the next two films are pretty safe, but who knows what happens after that? Uh, and I want to say to all producers, studio heads out there that greenlight the money for these films, this last paragraph of this article is the key. This is why Deadpool blew the goddamn doors off. This is why Aquaman has made a billion dollars. This is truly why the Russo brother films have done well. It's summed up in this, this quote. Uh, the, yeah, this quote from uh, James Wan, I think, right? Wan's the one who, did the, who directed this film. Yeah, James Wan. So it's important for me, obviously, uh, he's referring to previously in article. So it's important for me to obviously pay respect to where he was left off in Justice League, but then allow me the freedom to take him to where I want to take him at the end of the movie. 
my hero goes on this hero's journey to become someone very different than where he started. That was something that was very important to me, but the movie I want to make that I was allowed that freedom to do that. That's the key is somebody had a creative vision. They had a spark. They had passion. They had love and you allowed them to follow that spark. That again, that is what had made uh, Avengers work. At least the first one. I mean, I know there's been hits and misses, but Russo brothers, arguably we got a fucking political thriller out of them and we ate it up in captain America winter soldier, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and that was, I mean, you can see the passion. Through that. You see the passion through all their work. They're being allowed to do that. Deadpool is Ryan Reynolds. And because that's been proven by Deadpool two being just as phenomenal as the first one. And it's that passion of loving the character, loving the project. That's the secret to success. Stop making <laughs> Batman and Robin, no cartoon bullshit and let the directors get the vision and do what they want to do with it. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you've gotta, you've gotta embrace the fun aspect and you've gotta be faithful, you know? Yeah. Um, you can, and you, there's certainly room to reinvent things, but you've got to reinvent things that are kind of unknown. Guardians of the galaxy was a complete reinvention of that team. Yeah. I, I found that out after going back and reading the comics after yeah. I discovered them through the phenomenal movie, but it was funny. Mm-hmm. It was charismatic and it was a smash success. It became a, it, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is a pop culture icon now. So I, I'll never forget being in the in the uh, Destiny Mall in Syracuse, New York, walking into the the local comic shop that has a couple locations in that mall, and I hear this soccer mom out of nowhere go, "Oh, hey, look, a group pop," and I was just like, "What? What? The, <laughs> what world do I live in?" Like I thought it was a glitch in the Matrix. I just like. Or were you a comic book hipster? I knew about Guardians before they were cool. No, I was so <laughs> over the moon to see. We're not talking about, you know, second string or even third string. We're talking about somebody. We were talking about the Rudy of comic book teams. Okay. Yeah, no, that's just good. That's a great analogy, actually. And they, you know, James Gunn comes out of nowhere with them and they crush it. And a lot of it was casting. They cast the right people. They told a good story, you know, and two good stories over two films. And they were both incredible. They were both a lot of fun. And Aquaman has some of that pedigree in it where it's like, we're going to tell a compelling story. And do you notice that a lot of these, the best films that we talk about with superheroes, what is a central theme of almost all of them? It's almost always family. You know what I mean? In some shape, and a lot of times it's unconventional family. Aquaman, I know you haven't seen it yet, but it's a movie about family. It's about his dad and his mom and, you know, like the, the impact that his mom disappearing from his life has had on him. And his dad is still around and he still cares. It was one of my favorite things about the movie. Uh, there, they get into some sketchiness and you start, you you start wondering if you're going to get like a pearls hit in the pavement moment. <laughs> but 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 I, I'm going to ruin this for you. You don't. And honestly, it was so refreshing. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get our Uncle Ben. We didn't get our you know Bruce Wayne's parents. We got you know obviously a little bit of threat towards his dad, but he everything works out in the end. 
and it's a beautiful family story that is also a little it's a little bit indiana jones because it's they're running around the world trying to solve this mystery to get the, the the king's trident um the king of king's trident or whatever it's called and like yeah it's sorry i'm not as up on my dc stuff as i am marvel but basically it, it's a fun adventure movie and it's it's Shakespeare soaked to the bone, like it's Shakespeare it's Shakespeare underwater, in a similar way that Black Panther was. One of the things, that, first of all, Black Panther was an amazing cultural revolution, but it was also so fucking cool. You know what I mean? Because it was so cool. Yeah, yeah. To see that Black Panther was to see this fully realized, you know, African inspired society and technology and you know ornamentation and culture it was awesome and it was so fun to just play in that world and and see the characters play in that world and aquaman is the same thing there's so many little details in like when you look at the people of atlantis and you look at you know some of the different factions and stuff and it's so cool um and I, i was just watching um on this article, I was watching uh, some clips while they were playing on the autoplay thing, and the the movie is visually stunning as well because it, it embraces the fact that it's comic book. It's like we're a comic book, we're underwater, everything's CGI. You know it, we know it. Deal with it. So, like, there's a there's a picture of uh, Ocean Master with his cloak billowing behind him in the water. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It, it, but it doesn't look real at all. It doesn't have to. You know what I mean? Yes. Also, they did a really cool thing to explain why everybody can see things in the deep, dark water. It's apparently an inherent thing of them that their their eyes adjust to the light and they pick up on all the bioluminescence and everything else. So it, it immediately shifts the color palette in the film for you and explains why you can see everything as they can see it. And I thought it was a cool subtlety. They don't call it out directly, but it was like, all right, cool. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, if you get more than 15 feet from the surface, it gets hard to see anything. And you're not wrong, but these guys have super uh, eyes. And it's comic science. And yeah, that's why I have to... Yeah. But, oh, you know, a one single candle in your romantic comedy lights up the whole room, and they yeah, yeah. still see everything. No, come on, man. Is. Uh, uh, yeah. Have you ever lit a single candle anywhere? You can't see shit. Yeah. Can't, can't find shit. We ain't find shit. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, it's it is in my area, and it's in IMAX still on Saturday. So Bruh. that's gonna be make awesome. make it make it so. Are you saying it's is it better than a Michael Bay film? I would say, yeah. Well, so my biggest complaint about Michael Bay, other than the occasionally nonsensical storylines, is the action scenes are, it's all that shaky cam snap cut stuff where you can't see the, because they're, they're trying to cut corners, they're trying to keep their costs down. You know, they're trying to like, they're animating everything on the fucking screen, but they're not animating it well. You know what I mean? Uh, in this, it's the exact opposite. Everything's really well animated, and you can see everything. Like you see all the fights. The he duels uh, Orm a couple times, and it's it's dope. Like the fights are cool. It, it I don't know if it makes sense, but it's cool. <laughs> the rule of cool prevails with Aquaman for sure. Well, I know a lot of people weren't happy with Michael Bay's. Uh, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I dug it. 
Well, short it. It just so happens <laughs> if you didn't like the the last take. Ding yeah. ding ding! We're rebooting. We're rebooting. I'm okay with that. All right, run away with it, Charles. Tell us all about how we're rebooting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yet again. Um, I'm just gonna keep dancing on camera. It's I don't know. Paramount is basically let it slip. There's not much information, but uh, uh, see, they're gonna start production again this year under producers Michael Bay, Andrew Foreman, Brad Fuller's Platinum Dunes Production Company, uh, and. Uh, it looks like Brad Fuller said we're doing, he just came out and said at the Critics Choice Award Sunday, we're doing a reboot of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at Paramount. That is looking like production at the end of this year. And uh, did you give something away? His partner Fuller says, like, oh boy, we did the preceding two Turtles movies, but I didn't know that we were saying that we're making, making it, but that's good to know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's really... And here's the thing, they're, they're the quiet place producers. So you're yeah. sitting there going, I love the question. I mean, people just do different things. Now, here's the thing. Producers are visionaries with money. Directors and writers are really the heart of the projects. Yeah. It, more there, or less. There are a handful of producers out there that get involved creatively, and it, it shows. Yeah. I, these guys don't strike me as the type. These yeah, that's what, yeah, and that's why when I see from the producers, I was like, okay, a bare minimum, that means they paid for it. That doesn't, yeah. Yeah, bare minimum means they recognize that their script, the a script that was in front of them, would make money. That doesn't mean they made that great film that you love. But yeah, that's all we really have. So the first two had Megan Fox and Will Arnett in them, which I love Will Arnett. Uh, we don't know anything else about this live action CGI film. Uh, is that it said uh, it. It's. Yeah, I don't know. It's not much here. So the uh, Paramount hosts revive and refresh the franchise following the rotten scores earned by the previous two entries, both of which took a beating from critics with just a 22% and 37% approval. I got what I wanted out of it. Yeah. Real enough looking turtles running around kicking people in the face. Now, there was some really cheesy moments with like the, the vans going into the river and uh, the pizza hitting the core. I'm like, come on. It's it just, but it's, it's, they're still trying to preach the kids. Hopefully this reboot will tune this dial. I don't need a dark adult gritty turtles like the Eastman comics were, uh, but I would like something less silly than, Oh, I dropped my pizza on the floor at the game. No, no. But yeah. Uh, although I did, I did. I, I liked uh, Bebop and Rocksteady were so done so well in that that last film, mm-hmm. but they are they were the highlights. Even Casey Jones was okay, and I, I like him. But yeah, why well, uh, do you care? I had a good enough time with the last two. I enjoyed them; they were fun. So if it's cool, it'll be cool. If it's not cool, it won't be cool. And I'm not worried either way. I, I, I'd i like to hear, I'm going to reach out to him after the show. I'd love to hear, actually, I'm going to let him listen to this and then he can tell me. I'd love to hear Frank Allen's response to all this. Yeah, I, you know, I would also love to hear Mrs. Allen's response to this as well. 
So that'd be, that'd be awesome. I do believe Mr. Frank re- kindly requested that you stop talking to his wife directly. I believe I didn't talk to her directly. I believe I agree with you that we should hear her opinion. That's all. <laughs> okay. I'm within the terms of, of restraint, uh, restraining order, TOS, whatever. So uh, it's all good. You know what? Let's take a reset real quick. Uh, get some more beers. Unless you're driving, then get at least five more beers and you'll be okay. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay. Uh, this is Mike, your post-production editor for Breaking the Panel. Uh, you don't hear from me much because post-production editor. But um, if Phil were here, he'd talk to you about uh, Patreon. And, uh, and he'd probably call you a dick. And he'd refer to this as a shit show of some kind. But if you, if you love the show and you love the guys, here's how you can help. Uh, go to Patreon, give us money, and we'll give you things in return. Merch. We, we have merch. Merchandise. We got uh, mugs. We got t-shirts. And there may be other things. I haven't actually gone there to look yet, but I know Charles has said the words mugs and t-shirts. So uh, it's tiny.cc slash GSTU merch buy the merch oh there's a link on our website as well so go to the breaking the panel page click on the link go to the uh, merch website buy the merch and we get money so any way you want to look at it give us money okay back to the show all right we're back and there's four voicemails and normally i'd be really really excited that somebody called into the show to see the names other people who called in. So this one, <laughs> Jesus fuck, we're in we're in, we're in middle school. <laughs> Heywood Jablomi <laughs> called in and let- <laughs> okay. Hey guys, remember that time in episode one forty seven where. Damn. Phil couldn't remember what the supposed title for Avengers Endgame was going to be, and Charles didn't understand the question, and then he kept asking Phil what it was actually going to be from a rumor standpoint, and then Phil said, no, I'm asking a question, and Charles didn't know what that meant, so he kept asking him. That was awesome. (laughs) God damn it. We get enough of your bullshit on Borderlands on Sunday nights, asshole. <laughs> Seymour, but called <laughs> into this next one. Hey, yeah, it's me again. You remember that time on, in episode like 148 when Charles McFall got that um, call, the speak pipe thing from um, that deep voice dude? And he was talking about the big wall, great wall thing and was making fun of that dude, Dennis. That was cool. <laughs> we got two more of these, everybody. I'm just glad it wasn't Phil. Because I'm like, yeah. if you had the energy to do this, you could have been on the show. Uh, I get well soon, Phil. But you're a dick. Uh, Joe Mama sucks me off. No. Is this next one? Hi. Yeah. You remember that, that time in episode 149 when um, oh. Phil was being introduced by um, – uh, the rock slog of, of pot. Well, I can't remember what his name is. The Chucky e. D or something. I don't know, but he was being introduced and Phil said, Hey, for, for when he was saying hello, he said, Hey, <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> his delivery is so on. 
when, when, when it's his night on Borderlands, we're gonna have to we're have to do something good. I don't know yet. We're gonna have to do something good. Uh, this last one, this last one, and again, Klaus and I have not heard these. This is the first time we've heard them. No preview here. This is by Yo Daddy Eats a Dick. Oh my god. Hey, remember that 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 time in episode one fifty one where you guys were talking about um, DC coming to Comicsology Unlimited, but didn't have any idea what the fuck you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> you too can leave your voicemail over on dot com forward slash breaking the panel there's a tab on the right hand side of the screen click the button leave the message eat a dick oh lord so he must have gone on kurt that is kurt booten of fth beyond's marvel strike force and fth beyond's borderlands 2 uh fame and uh he must have gone on a binge list because all those came in in the last 21 hours it's like 21 hours 20 hours 20 hours and an hour ago and 151 was last week's episode. Mm-hmm. So, they <laughs> he actually messaged me a couple hours before the show, and he was like, "When do you guys record?" And I was like, "Tonight." And he's like, "Okay, you're gonna have some speak pipes." And I was <laughs> like, uh, "All right, thanks, buddy. <laughs> you're doing great." Well, you know what? He wasn't in a stairwell, so we're all good there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that was quite funny, Kurt. Uh, we've got some Nintendo Switch news, and I was very surprised by this headline that you brought to the table. Yeah. The Nintendo Switch. I misspelled absolutely. Hey, The Nintendo Switch. And I wish Phil was here to talk about this. The Nintendo Switch. I'm going to say it like four more times. The Nintendo Switch. <laughs> is absolutely crushing the Japanese games market, which some might be, well, duh, it's a Japanese company, but guess what? So is Sony. And uh, so this is talking about 15 out of the top 20 selling games in Japan are on the Nintendo Switch. Top selling console this week by a huge margin. Um and uh, there was another headline that goes along with this. I saw apparently in its first week of being out smash brothers ultimate generated over 5 million in sales in a week in revenue in its first week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's really crazy to, uh, to see this. And I'm just going to go over this briefly here. Now, this is Japan market. This isn't the West. This isn't, you know, North America or the United States or anything like that. Um, you know, so it's noteworthy here. But uh, right now, their they're top seller, this is weekly sales. Um, Super, Mother, uh, Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. And then Smash Brothers. Uh, here's the crazy part. The, the top selling game this week that just came out on the 11th sold 166,000 units in Japan. That's a lot for Japan's a small country. Okay. Sure. Smash brothers sold 62,000 units in the same week. (laughs) That's after completely crushing for the last month. You know what I mean? Cause it's been out since uh, the 7th of December. 
that's insane. That's still pulling a third of the top of the game that just came out. It's overall sold 2,677,000, roughly, thousand, or sorry, 2,677,000 copies, units, in Japan to date in a month. That is insane. Absolutely insane. And I, I got to say this. I was reluctant to buy Smash Brothers. I haven't gotten it yet. But um, after seeing after seeing my friends play it and seeing that it has a whole RPG mode and all the things that go along with that and, and just the, how much game you get for 60 bucks, that is a – if you enjoy playing Smash, that is a hell of a product. They jammed it as packed full as I think you could possibly have made it. And it's an incredible thing. So, you know, kudos to them. My, I tip my hat. But anyways, circling back around. Um, here we have an exception. We have Tales of Vesperia, Definitive Edition. Uh, the third slot is taken by the PS4 version. The fourth slot is the Switch version uh, with roughly almost half the sales or just over half the sales. Um, I don't know if that speaks to the fact that, you know, the PS4 is just such a saturated console in Japan and there are probably a lot of people waiting for the latest Tales game release or not. Uh, but I'm going to scan through this list. Uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2, Super Mario Party, Dragon Quest Builders 2 for PS4, uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are counted as one title together. Uh, that's fair, yeah. Okay, here's the thing. Without looking at this article, Charles, if I told which game do you think would have sold more units? Let's go Pikachu and Eevee together, or Smash Brothers. The uh, the Pokemon game, not even close. Smash Brothers has outsold Pikachu and Eevee. Let's go by one point two million units. Holy crap! It is to date only sold one point four. Uh, million units. That is wow. insane. That is absolutely mind blowing. Um, Mario Kart Deluxe Eight Deluxe uh, has sold two million units. That's still in their top ten. Minecraft with half a million units. Splatoon Two. This is actually really surprising. Splatoon Two has sold just shy of two point nine million units. Now, granted, it's been out for more than a year. It came out in uh, July of 2017. But that is kind of astonishing. You know what I mean? Like, that is... I did not realize Splatoon was such a big deal in Japan. Um, So, you know, that's a thing. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has sold overall 1.2 million. Um, I suspect that some amount of that has been undercut by Wii U sales being that it was it was the transitional title from the sure, Wii U to, sure. to the Switch. Yeah. Um here's a game I don't recognize called Go Vacation. It looks like it just came out at the end of last month. Um Call of Duty Black Ops 4 has sold half a million copies total and Super Mario Odyssey has sold just shy of 2 million copies in Japan. Uh PS4 God Eater 3 is just about rounding out the top 20 here with 3,500 units sold. They've only done 200,000 copies in Japan. Uh, Star Kirby Star Allies has 
done 700,000. That is a sad game, though. I'm going yeah. to mention that. Um, do not buy Star Kirby Star Allies only because it's only about a five-hour-long game. Oh, hell, man. It, everybody who's played it, they say it's fun, it's cute, it's cool, it's good for families, um, but it's a very, very short game with a severe lack of content. And it's still full price pretty much everywhere. So, pass. Pass on that one by my recommendation. Uh, as for consoles that have been sold, 78000 in the week, it would seem. Or maybe that's year to date. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's in the week. Holy crap. This wow. is crazy. So that's more than four times the volume of the PS4 being sold at the same time. <laughs> I, I don't know where they got their numbers from, but like this is going through the top, top nine consoles out right now. Um, 78,000 Switches, 12,000 PS4s, 6,000 PS4 Pros, just shy of 4,000 new 2DS XLs. That sounds like a weekly number, yeah. 1,700 PS Vitas. Holy shit, what? that's a lot. Yeah. How are they still selling Vitas? I thought they killed that. Uh, over here, it's pretty much dead, but it is not dead in Japan. Oh, uh, that's right. We're talking about the Japanese market. My bad. Yeah, Japanese market. New 3DS XL sold 1,400 units, almost 1,500. 2DS sold 268 units. And here, here is some really telling figures. Xbox One X sold 38 units. <laughs> <laughs> Xbox One sold 12. Trace Ocho. <laughs> now, th- this isn't being rounded. Literally, wow. for, for, for the time period that this article is covering, apparently 12 Xbox Ones were bought in all of Japan and 38 Xbox One Xs were. Wow. That is... I, I have, I've heard rumors... And, and heard tell that um, there's a pretty severe lack of uh, Microsoft um, saturation in Japan. This is astonishing. Like, holy crap, I didn't know it was that bad. So, yeah, shout out to all of the Japanese uh, Microsoft fanboys, both of you. <laughs> but, no, I, so I, the reason I brought this to the table is, one, I wanted to get an idea of the scope that some of these games have been doing and it's just a snapshot of Japan, but I think it's so interesting to see what is resonating with the Japanese market versus what's resonating over here. In this case, a whole slew of those titles are considered relatively obscure Japanese RPGs over here, like tales of Vesperia, dragon quest two builder or dragon quest builders Two, stuff like that. But a lot of the mainline titles I was really surprised by some of the ranking and I, I absolutely was shocked that, you know, let's go Pikachu and Eevee combined don't even come close to Mario Kart eight or super smash brothers. So this yeah. is really interesting. It's just, I wanted to do a little bit of a dive uh, cause it was an interesting article that jumped out at me uh, that it highlighted, you know, a certain, a certain market, but why it's kind of in, important to kind of keep an eye on this sort of thing, if you're a fan of the Switch, if you're a fan of console games. Nintendo and Sony are Japanese companies. Sometimes they do things that defy Western logic. When that happens, take a peek at the numbers in Japan. And it can probably inform you of some of their decision-making pro- process here. And, man, 
Mario. I was saying, no, mobile games are huge, way more huge in Japan. Mobile games are absolutely insanely huge. For, for Nintendo to crush even that is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you would think with how big mobile games are, and I know that there are big communities for, uh, you know, Pokemon Go in Japan and also in South Korea and, and China, at least Taiwan, um, but I believe mainland China as well. I was really surprised to see that Let's Go didn't sell bigger in Japan. You would think that there would be that connect there, but may, you know, they've, the other thing is they've probably been bombarded with, cause it is essentially a rebrand of yellow, you know, an update, a remaster, if you will. And I'm sure at this point they've been hit with so many re-releases of the original three games that they're just like, yeah, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. I wonder if it's like a requirement of graduating uh, Japanese elementary school to have completed one of the the original trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> you must go out into the world, but you must leave with knowledge. You know? Yeah. Well, apparently all Japanese kids, when they turn 10, get kicked out of the house and get sent to hunt monsters with strangers. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, control these wild animals. Do yeah. it. Do it. That that honestly the craziest part about the whole Pokemon game for me is that kid is obviously like ten or younger, and his mom's like, "Yeah, go meet some professor and wander the land, have fun." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go go meet with this local professor whose surname is based on a type of wood. Yeah, mom, I don't want to go see that man. <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> Come on to Uncle Oki's house. Uh, that's just bad. <laughs> so uh we got a few more little things here to talk about. And this one I always I always like these lists, right? The ten best blah blah blahs and ten worst whatever. This one's a little more realistic. It's not a theory or argument or cheesy. It's just ten movies that are already canceled in twenty nineteen. And what get really got my attention was the the art uh concept art of a dancer boy as gambit there at the head of this article um oh fuck what's his name chatham tanning chanting tatum anyway this was a concept art of of him as gambit and it's on this article of, of cancellations number 10 silver surfer by marvel studios uh, here's what they know. This is off of uh, whatculture.com. A THR report. Ah, THR reported that Fox was going 100 miles per hour to get the movie off the ground, at which point they had comic writer Brian K. Vaughn. Holy shit, he was involved in the script. He's one of my favorites. And here's why it was canceled. Uh, it was canceled as part of Fox and Disney's deal, according to Twitter. Mm-hmm. So. That was that was presumed uh, uh, Disney's presumed reluctance to sanction movies that they had no say in the planning stages. But if it's good, come on, you know. All right, where's the, there's the next button? Silver Surfer. Do you think Fox would have done it right? Uh, hard to say. It is hard to say because they, they really had a chance really once and they but it's Brian K. Vaughn, maybe it would have been good. Runaways, although he didn't do anything with the Runaways scripts on Hulu, I don't think, because that was shit. But uh, anyway, 
Number nine, Alien Covenant sequel. Yay! <laughs> uh, I was never alone. I didn't get raised. Well, I should say I wasn't raised on Ridley Scott. I came to it as an adult out of order. And there's actually still a few Alien movies I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the first one a few times. I've seen, I think, the fourth one where there's underwater aliens, which was actually a really badass concept. I think that was the clone with Wine on a Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first one I ever saw. Then you have some Aliens vs. Predators, which didn't quite can in, and you know, other stuff. So I my first as a human being entering the movie world, my first film was Covenant. And I liked it. I liked the ideas and the mythologies behind it, but I know a lot of hardcore fans didn't like it. You know? And that's some of the nitpicky stuff. Anyway, um, so we don't know exactly why I canceled it, but uh, it was a Fox film as well. So more likely because Disney bought Fox and went, nah, nah, nah. can't do it. Then that the sound that the chip reader makes with the drink. Nah, nah, nah. I hate that to me. Oh, God, this picture. Oh, my God. It's of Tatum licking his thumb, painted as Gambit. Why am I looking at this shit? Why? <laughs> oh, Gambit's already canceled again. Uh, <laughs> Because guess what? It was a Fox movie. And we're going to bring X-Men into Marvel. So, But we, I think the collective we here on Breaking the Panel went, no, this is going to be a horrible film. Don't do that. Right? Probably. Yeah. All right, next. I didn't realize these are going to be all Fox films. I don't know anything about this one. Kelowna, uh, the anime Dream Traveler might not be as familiar name to mainstream cinema audiences. Is that something that you're maybe familiar with, Paul? I have no idea what this is. And yeah. I'm not sure that I care. Uh, Hideo Yoshizawa uh, joined its production in January of last year, or two years ago, rather. Uh, and it was canceled two years with no updates. Writer, the name that I wish to not butcher, confirmed the project was canceled uh, on January 4th of this year. So uh, I guess that's more of a big deal if you're familiar with that manga. I did not know they were already greenlit an X-23 film. Maybe I did and forgot. Chris Wisdom, when he does finally hear this, will scream at me. Episode, whatever, you talked about it, jackass. Oh, he doesn't listen to us anymore. There's no way. That's true. Uh, you know, this is, this is why we deployed him, to see what kind of host he would be, and he's a shitty one. <laughs> <laughs> but X-23 got canceled. Again, that's a Fox property and you know Marvel. okay in the interest of saving some time here are all these box all, all these fox films yes this is all uh, okay oh no no okay so all right in the interest of okay saving time here uh kitty pride was number three multiple men was number four x-force was number five and obviously x-23 was just number six so anything marvel related that fox was doing got stabbed to death whether those concepts will rise again in something else, who knows? But yeah, they're dead, Jim. However, we talked about number two last week, and that was Star Trek Four, the new Star Trek Four. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we kind of beat that to death. And guess what? Number one is yet another Fox Marvel project. It was Doctor Doom. All right. All these do make sense. Uh, 
I do I'm hope. Sorry, that... I just I got so annoyed when we got halfway through the list. Yeah, like, Fox Fox. Yeah, no. I'm noticing a trend here, and it was absolutely a trend to notice. So sorry, I wasted people's time. There you go. <laughs> it's no, it's fine. It's good to talk about the fact that pretty much everything Fox was working on is dead. But yeah. Um, and, and I hope that's especially the X23. She, the actress, was phenomenal. The way the character's written was phenomenal. I hope that's one that Marvel does something with. Along, of course, Deadpool. I mean, they need to keep Deadpool going or sell it, sell it to to Netflix and let them make some Deadpool originals. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something I want to talk about. I, I'm behind on Geek Versus. But I've heard this sentiment. I did hear on their show uh, when they did one about Lion King. Uh, but I've heard the sentiment sentiment way too often recently, where the Lion King film, right, is coming out. It's just live action, and when we heard it announced, we're like, "How are you going to do live King, Lion King live action?" And we all theorized it'd be CGI. And people have differing opinions on that. But there's a widespread misunderstanding of what live action means. It's a categorical descriptor. It's an award category, right? Versus animation, which has its own definition that has its own descriptors and categories. And that's the difference. Uh, the Matrix, 50%, if not more, CGI, that's a live action film, right? And you oh, it had humans in it. Doesn't really matter. The fact that it's computer graphic, what does the I stand for? It's computer generated imaging. Imaging. All right. Uh, it's just, it's really not a, uh, Hey, this is a human movie versus a non-human movie. I think these categories are award categories by just random movie definitions. Live action is shot with a camera and done with people. And we have CGI all the time in those films. Um, I mean, Deadpool was, was at least 80% CGI, right? Uh, all the X-Men films, uh, Star Wars, Lot. I mean, I know they did a lot of practical effects, but they a lot of CGI, and nobody bats an eye about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just not animation, because animation is like cell shading, two D. It's a very specific descriptor that has its own award category, and I think that's the biggest thing, and people are missing that mark. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I mean, if you see a real person on screen, it's live action. But in Lion King, there's no people. It's all animals but it's all cgi animals does that i mean i think that's still just i mean this is the first movie 100 percent cgi it feels like yeah i mean if the entire film is animated like a good example from back in the day was uh final fantasy the spirits within yes where it was actually acted by humans but it was acted by humans i believe a lot of it was done mocap and is it's it's still an animated film that was animation because uh, i think it was the fact that it wasn't CGI to look realistic. It was cartoonish. I don't think that really matters. Honestly, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like you get into some weird territory with um. Well, ultimately, my thought was listening to Geek Versus was that it just that's that's the moment it dawned on me. It's like this isn't this isn't about what the movie is. This is more of what category will it fit into in award seasons. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't meet the definition of animation for the category of animation, therefore it's a live action film. It just happens to be 100% CGI. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know if they did motion capture. I don't know if they did anything else. Um, I know that I'm excited to see it. 
I think it's going to be fun. Uh, whether you like it or not, I, that's just a discussion I really want to bring up. Was the Jungle Book live action? Well, yes, it had a human boy. Everything else was CGI'd. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the panther was real to a point. Uh, I don't think so. I think all the animals were CGI'd. Most of the jungle was CGI'd. Uh, that's all. I just wanted to bring that point out. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Tony P. Henderson. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to write this up with watching, reading, playing. And before Klotz and I tell you what we've been watching, reading, playing, I want to pimp out Phil, who is puking his brains out right now. Now, he said he was up all night sick, but I happen to know they had an extra long uh, botched recording session last night. So We know where his loyalty lies. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. But he's been streaming on botched uh, FGH, uh, fuck, twitch.tv forward slash botched. Is it Botch Podcast or just Botch? No, he was streaming on Imaginary Nomad. Well, he's been streaming on Botch as well. That's right. He didn't do them both. You're right. You're right. right. I'll run through it. So, listen. Here's the deal. One of our internal objectives as a network this year was that we were all going to start streaming more. We want to expand our presence on the internet. We want to bring more of our dumb dick content to you guys. And that means, you know, the emergence of the Booze and Borderlands stream that you may be tuning into on Sundays. And if you're not, why the fuck? Right? Um, Speaking of which, uh, you know, that was a project started by Charles and Phil, who have now invited Dennis, myself, and myself to play with them every week for the ongoing time period. And we have Kurt from FTH Beyond sitting fourth wheel fifth wheel fifth wheel eighth yeah. wheel he's the fifth wheel trailer <laughs> he's essentially the, the 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 sex monster voice of god in the background yep and honestly we just we're playing borderlands in the loosest extent that you could claim to be playing the game we're mostly chasing dennis from objective to objective jesus christ right <laughs> while, while 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 charles just waits and, and like sets up his his robot to block all of our lines of shooting, and then, you know, Kurt just riffs on us the whole time. Occasionally reading excerpts from uh, Dennis's forthcoming novel, uh, which probably will never come out, especially after we read most of it on air. Um, we were having a great time over there on Sunday nights. We've been starting at eight p.m. Eastern. Please, please, please come check us out throw us your support uh if you if you're not having a great time or whatever even if you just leave the stream on in the background on your computer or something it's a huge help to us and we'll make you laugh we will we will make you laugh you'll have a good time it is not family friendly though i will tell you that Uh, it's probably technically not twitch friendly but who gives a shit until we get told to pipe down um but on that note phil has launched his personal channel imaginary nomad twitch.tv slash imaginary nomad i have launched my personal channel imagine or uh, twitch.tv soapbox <laughs> slash soapbox clots uh and then botched have started streaming on their channel as well uh they did a their dennis and phil got together to play a romance simulator the other night with robots i I don't know the whole story, but uh, you can check that out, uh, that out as well at twitch.tv slash botch podcast. I believe it is, or it might just be botched. Uh, we need your help though. Okay. This is a, this is a cry for help, a plead for all of these new channels 
they they don't have the same benefit that FTH Beyond's channel had in that you know we're featuring like an emerging mobile game that everybody's dying to come check out, and we're all trying to get affiliate, which means that we have to get at least fifty followers. That doesn't cost you anything. This is my, I'm shilling here, but this doesn't cost you anything. No matter if you watch Twitch all the time or if you never watch it, if you have a Twitch account, please, please, please take a moment out of your day. Go to Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash imaginary nomad slash botch slash soapbox GSTU slash GSTU media and give us a follow. That'll send you an email notification whenever we go live on any of those channels. We're all auto hosting each other as well. Um, it helps so much is if we can get each of those accounts to 50 followers, at least that means it opens up the monetization of being able to receive bits and also allows us to get Twitch subs, uh, either, you know, paid ones or from Twitch prime. It's a huge help to us. It helps keep the lights on. It, it helps justify the immense amount of time it takes to put into the content that we produce for you guys. Uh, streams, they might seem like people just playing games and, and talking shit, but they're exhausting, if I'm honest with you. Uh, it's it's a lot of work. So please, please go help us get started on those new channels. Um, and if you can hit all of us, that would be great. We're having a great time over on those channels. Phil's been playing during the day. Uh, yeah. He's been six playing. hours yesterday. Yeah, he streamed for six hours the other day. He was playing um, Octopath Traveler. I've been streaming some Magic, Magic Arena. Uh, I have been doing quite well recently. Well, actually I fell apart the last day I had strung together consecutive going infinite um, drafts where I was just crushing drafts for a few days where uh, going infinite means that you do so well that you get enough prize back that it didn't cost you anything. Uh, and it's all like plus side. And I was, I did that for a few days and it was going great. I am playing more magic. I am so excited. This weekend is the pre-release for, uh, Ravnica Allegiance, which I Ravnica is my favorite setting in Magic, so I'm definitely going to be playing some Paper Magic this weekend. But when next week rolls around, I am absolutely going to be streaming some some games on there. Probably doing some if drafts are available yet. I'll do that. If not, I'll probably pony up and do a sealed. So please, please come out, support us, check out our content. Uh, even if you just follow, it's a huge, huge help. And if you do have Amazon prime and you don't have any channels that you're supporting, you get one free sub every month to a channel of your choice. Costs you nothing. It pays us. It's the equivalent of that $5 sub button. Go in there, hit one of the channels that you like, even if it's not one of us, even if it's not somebody on the network, Go find your favorite content creator out there. Anybody. We'll oh, no, 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 no. Cut, cut, cut. Way more. We appreciate it way more. We yeah, love yeah. it a long time. They they just like, yeah, sure. Thanks for the dip. We'll be like, we love you, man. So, uh, but the, the real talk aspect of this, why that is so important is uh, we are investing deeply into improving our PCs and getting the equipment like capture cards to be able to capture the, this game footage uh, to, you know, to be able to handle a stream and everything. And we, we would love your support and we really appreciate it. And hopefully by this time next year, all of these channels just super explode and we've got tons and tons of great content out there for everybody to enjoy. So please help us with that, with our streaming efforts. We, we appreciate you. And if you do like what you see, jump in chat, uh, hit us up yeah. outside of social media. We would love it. That being said, Charles, what have you been yeah. reading, watching, playing this week? 
I have been doing research for Dragon Con, but before I get to that, uh, I finally sat down. I talked to my wife. I was like, look, I really want to watch this film. It's a choose your own adventure thing. The Bandersnatch, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. I explained basically in a nutshell what Black Mirror was. I said, look, just can I have this night because I can't do it at work. I need to pay attention to it. We need to focus. Um, if nothing else, maybe it'll be entertained by making choices. So she said, sure. We loved it. Oh, my God, dude. I'm ready to do it again. We might do it again tonight uh, because we played through. And then there's a certain point where there's obviously you can keep going back and making certain choices within that that frame. But I want to play it from start to finish again and make different choices. But watching the things, it's so immersive. It is so – you've done it, right? You did. You played Bandersnatch? I, I watched it. I went through it once with uh, Dr. Yusel okay. and his family. Just the character react. It, it, I'm with Carl Dodge. Carl's biggest obsession with it is the technology. Like, and I get it. I, I'm with him. How the hell do you do that? How do you hell do you take this movie that statistically probably hundreds of thousands of people are watching at any given moment? Maybe not hundreds of thousands, but a, a buttload of people are watching at any given moment. So you take that, that you're streaming this to 100,000 homes at one time. And I'm picking a different path than you're picking. And you started the movie at a different time than I started it. But we're like, the technology, and it's seamless. It does drag the choice out a little bit to give you time and then to make it a little more seamless to go into the path you pick. But it's, oh, fuck me, how does that technology work? Then on top of that, it is high-quality Black Mirror storytelling where where does the movie end and we begin you know it, it, it's i i don't want to give anything away about it but it, it gets it gets eighth dimension wall breaking i don't know how to say it it's just crazy good it, it, it takes a turn uh so when yeah. i when when we watched it um dr Usell's wife was in control and she insisted on never finding out what happened with the main character's mom. I'm not trying to get into any details here. It's a, it's a pivotal moment that they keep redirecting you to, to try to get you to go down that pathway. She uh-huh. refused to, I suspect that it really, um, it really like cut down the potential outcomes. I think it's an important point, but what's beautiful about it is you get to go through the story and you can explore different branching pathways. And it's really interesting in that regard. Um, And you even play through the credits, which gets even more goddamn layered. Yeah. So good. So good. Afterwards for the Patreon, I may ask you about certain, certain line but uh then then uh thanks to this is part of the research i was doing thanks to uh clots guiding me in some directions for twitch and youtube uh, i found the h3 podcast which is a podcast i mean they definitely record the audio and put it out as a podcast which is honestly what keeps me from turning you off because if you call it a podcast there needs to be an audio only form i get you record it on youtube make it a show whatever but if it's a podcast it needs to be an audio and they do that it's good it's different. I, I like how this guy thinks. I love that he just asks whatever comes on his mind of the people, and it's it's a conversation. So I, I was watching that today, and that's very cool. And then also because I'm doing research on on uh, uh, for Dragon Con, on, on we're trying to bring in YouTube and Twitch users. It wasn't Ninja, although we, we I did look at his, some of his stuff. Uh, 
sub soda soda something. Damn it! So he he's a creator. By that I didn't know this. I learned it today. He's soda a creator popping. of Tea Public. What is it? Are you talking about soda popping? Maybe that's a that's a dude on Twitch, right? He's a streamer. Yeah, streamer. Yeah, I think that's him. Uh, it, whoever it is, I'm thinking of. They created T Public, which we have a store on T Public. Tinyurl.cc. No, tiny.cc uh, slash capital G S T U. So tiny.cc uh, slash. I actually think there's an N on the end. I think it's G Stone. No, I think it's maybe. Uh, you know what? Type it in and find out. But he created, apparently, he created T Public, and I didn't know that. Uh, so that was cool. But I was watching his stuff, and I watched him play Subnautica. Dude. Oh, my God. I'm very much going to have to put Subnautica on my want list. <laughs> well, it was that, free on the Epic Store. I don't really have a computer that can play it. Now, I, maybe I could have claimed it. I don't know if that works. Like, you claim it, and then even though it's not for free anymore, you can always download it. Like you Yeah, can. that's basically how it would have worked. And I thought about that after the fact. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I bet it worked that way, and I could have just downloaded it later. But I, I really don't have anything that will run it right now mm. on, on PC. Um, so I probably just have to fork over the money, but oh my God, clots. I get it, man. I was just watching, uh, uh, soda popping cherry daddies, whatever his name is. Yeah, I got it. And I honestly, obviously I need to learn his name. If, if we're going to have a good soda popping, soda popping. Uh, and it wouldn't need, although I liked his style. I liked the way he, he, I love that he has this automation in there that if you give him 10 bucks, you can post a quick message and the robot will read it. And this guy and every clip, cause I jumped from clip to clip to clip to see what was going on. And every clip, so the same person they call Trek put in $10 to bust his balls. Like I thought you were a real fucking streamer, not some fucking noob, you dumb shit. And he's like, thanks for the $10 track. And then it would come up again. And I mean, the, the Shrek's just trolling like a moment, but he's dropping $10 every time. And I love that. Uh, so the pop was just like, yeah, thanks. And just moved on with it. And he was funny. But that's not what I wanted to call to talk about. That Subnautica footage, he's diving. He's trying to make a, a, a tool, a scanner, and a flashlight and a knife. And so he's just diving and finding copper, which sounds boring as shit. Oh, yeah, he's diving and finding a resource. This game, dude, <laughs> is so beautiful. It's, so, it's beautiful and terrifying. Did you see okay. him interact with any of the scary shit at all? No, uh, I was I was very quickly checking it out because I had other stuff to do today. So I'm going to go back and watch some more. Oh, uh, ignore everything I just said. There's nothing scary out there. Oh, no, I've already heard somebody talk about how they went the wrong way and went to a dark part of the map and they thought they were going somewhere else. And all of a sudden, this legendary beast pops up next to them. Yeah, that was and- me, you dumb dick. I don't remember. It was on this show, you ass. I'm oh sorry. my god! I've been drinking since then. <laughs> this is what Chris Wisdom used to. I used to drive him crazy all the time. We never talked. I, I said I don't remember who said it. So congratulations, Klotz. I remember your story. I just don't remember to attribute it to you. So uh, you already told your scary stories, and it made me laugh. But no, I didn't get to see any of the scary stuff. I just got to see him free dive for this copper shit. And honestly, I just was riveted. I was just going, I got to play this game. I got to play this game. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. So that's that's what I've been reading, watching, playing this week. What about you? I actually have not been playing Subnautica. I kind of let it be for a little bit. I've been playing. Okay, here's the thing. I mentioned it a little while ago. I've been playing a fuckload of Magic 
I'm I'm back in it, man. Uh, I'm. <sighs> yeah, I thought you hitting that. You hitting that on? Oh man, because uh, I I dropped Magic because Magic wasn't fun for me anymore. And late last year, I decided to fire up my TCGplayer.com store again. Um, TCGplayer.com slash Mortal Sword Games. Um, and I've been doing a tremendous amount of business on there, like hundreds of orders. I've been very, uh, I'm busy, but happy about it. Um, so it's got magic in my brain again, you know? And so I would watch YouTube videos while I was sorting cards or filling orders or whatever. And I would just be kind of absorbing things and started kind of bumping into like people talking about arena and how good, mtg arena is and i had played it during beta and i wasn't impressed at the time but i went back and it is pretty dope so i've been playing that a lot and so what i was saying earlier is is draft is when you take three packs and you pick one card at a time from the packs right and uh, so in arena's case normally in in real life or on magic online you would draft actively with eight other pe- or seven other people it's eight people total so that's a draft pod and everybody brings three packs to the table you open one pack at a time you take one card you pass it to the next person and the idea is that you're trying to build a 40 card deck out of the cards you pick all right one card at a time out of you know out of three sets of a pack and uh, MTG Arena, automa- it's all botted. It's not. It's done automatically. So you don't. What's? It's a beautiful thing in that I don't have to wait for other people to be in a queue in order to do it, which was a thing that I have done before when I played Magic Online years and years ago. And you had to wait for the queue to fill up, and then you had to be there. You had to be present. There was a timer because everybody else is waiting on you. Magic Arena is not like that at all. It's when you even the competitive events when you draft, it's you against a bot. Um, so hate drafting, which means picking cards that you're not going to play, but that you don't want the guy next to you to potentially get is not a thing. You literally just pick the best deck you possibly can, uh, which a lot of competitive magic players will argue is the purest way of drafting. It's the way you should draft. Um, so they have, they had two events available. Um, the first one was rivals of Ixalan, which was last block. And it is uh, two packs of the second set and one pack of the initial set of that block. And I I went in not really knowing what I was doing, but I did well. Uh, So I would go in, I would draft, and I draft these super aggressive decks, and I would win. I did a little bit of the, I did some, I think I drafted two decks and played some games on stream last week. Um, And I did well, and I would always win either most of my uh, gems that I put into it, which is your, your real money equivalent, and get some extra packs for my effort, or I would do really well and I'd win more than I put in and I'd be profiting every time I played. Nice. And so then I flipped that into those events are half price and they're best of one games. Um, so basically you just have to win the first game, which is a lot easier. Then I went into competitive uh, uh, guilds of Ravnica, which is the current set until the new set comes out this weekend. And that is double the price, but the rewards are a lot higher, but you have to play best of three. And I did really well with my first two drafts. My first draft, I don't think I got all the way to six wins and got the maximum prize, but I definitely got enough gems to cover my cost of entry and a bunch of extra packs. Then I went back in and I drafted a deck that I absolutely hated, 
Like I, every game I was pulling my hair out and screaming at the, the oh, computer. No. I was so unhappy with that deck and I somehow went undefeated, undefeated and hit six packs, six, <laughs> six wins and won the maximum prize without any losses. Um, which was hilarious because when I got to that point, it, it, it's like when you play a game with somebody and they bitch their way all the way to a win. Right. Well, I did that all by myself. Um, however, the wheels fell off the, uh, the value town bus because I drafted two times in a row the last two days and I bombed out of both of them. Uh, I got a couple gems back and some packs for the first one yesterday, uh, but I did not, you know, break even or better. And then today I just completely got blown out. Um, I just got two bad matchups right off the bat, but I'm hooked again. I'm, I'm really enjoying playing the game again. I'm looking forward to the new set that's coming out this weekend and I'm probably going to play some real life paper magic and promptly turn around and sell whatever I open because I don't really care to have that much of a collection anymore. It's all money to me now, but I still enjoy the game itself. And the really, the thing that inspired me to come back to it is it's fun to play again. Uh, the draft format is fun. The cards in the pool are fun. I might dabble with some constructed on uh, MTG Arena. That is a pre, you know, you build your own deck and you play that deck. So I might build a competitive deck at some point as my collection expands a little bit. But they have a major update coming out tomorrow. I'm excited to see the changes in that update. It changes some of the, uh, how it handles when you get duplicates more than the playable amount of cards in the game. It, it, the reward structure for the, basically the, the dupe prevention. Um, and it's supposed to be much better after the fact. So I'm excited to see those changes come through. That's mostly what I've been doing um, other than watching some YouTube and whatnot. You know. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, it's it's a world. It's not just it's not just, hey, I'm gonna bug in this game and play it for a little bit. It's it's so many layers and things and the fact that it's been a big part of your life in the past, you know. I'm glad that it's good again. I saw I saw some of your streams. And I saw some of the comments from people who had played before asking you questions. And I got the gist was stuff had gotten kind of shitty for a while. Yeah. And now it's back being worthwhile again. Yeah, we, Sean and I both played and we quit two, three years ago because it was at the time that the, it was uh, the Battle for Zendikar pre-release. We went to that. We had been playing standard. We'd been drafting off and on. We went to the Battle for Zendikar pre-release at our local college. Okay. And we both bombed out and we hated it. We just hated the set design. We hated the cards. We hated the way it played. It was not fun. It didn't feel interactive. It felt like we just got rolled over by people who opened the goods and just ran. Because a, a great limit, limited is uh, referred to, limited as a concept when it's referred to, you're either drafting or opening sealed, a sealed pool, which is six packs. It's double the pool, but it's because you, you're not trading them and you're not individually picking. You're building the best deck you can out of six packs. Yeah. So, but they're both considered limited. When the limited format for a set is rough and it's not fun, there's really, you know, it, there's no desire to stay active. If, if standard sucks as well, standard is a competitive uh, pre-constructed format or constructed format, I should say, technically. Um, so when both suck there's no like there's literally no reason to play and so we both quit at the time and that's when i kind of started fire sailing my stuff on a fairly regular basis like when a big big uh cost came up like for dragon con i sold a bunch of cards for packs unplugged i sold a bunch of cards to be able to cover the cost of the trip and i just started turning my collection into cash to to be able to do other things in my life and i, I let go of my sacred cows which is 
I used to save everything. I used to keep a play set, which is four copies of everything. And I'd tuck it away in a box. And someday I might want to play the deck that uses those cards or whatever. And you know, the truth is I never did. So yeah, I'm probably not going to be doing any of that again, but I will absolutely be, uh, crushing the, the, the draft format again because I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Um, do you ever think you'll you'll get back into the actual card tournaments? Like at Dragon Con, I'm sure there's magic card tournaments. Actually, I know there are because that's where Tristan spends most of his weekend. I would say never say never, but it's kind of unlikely. All right. Um, I, got I don't know. It, it's, it, I could see – the thing I'm really excited to see the future of is MTG Arena. This is the first time we've had a really smooth interface for digital magic that is online focused and is good. So, yeah, I mean, the potential is there. Um, We'll we'll see. We'll see. You know what I mean? It's sky's the limit. Well, if if it's as good as you say it is and as as it can be, uh, there's a good chance there'll be uh, a digital tournament. At Dragon. Oh yeah, there certainly will be. And one of the cool things is this uh, this weekend, most of you will hear this after the fact because this won't come out, I don't think, until Monday. But the events this weekend will have codes in the pre-release packs for a free draft on MTG Arena. So showing up in person and playing Paper Magic this weekend will get you a free draft on the on the program. And what's in a draft? How many cards? That's the three you open the three packs you three pick packs. one card. Okay, and then and which is roughly equivalent to about fifteen dollars in real life usually. Like a draft is usually about fifteen bucks. Okay. Um, maybe a little cheaper if there's no prize. Uh, MSRP on a booster pack in, of Paper Magic is four dollars. It's definitely a little cheaper for MTG Arena. They, they you can tell that they reduce the price a bit, which is a really smart play because uh, Magic Online, the other online offering, which is a really old program and everything everything is real price on there. Like it's the same price to paper because you can actually redeem full sets of cards on magic online for a full set of cards in real life. You just pay shipping is my understanding. Okay. Um, so because of that, they've always charged full price over there. And I don't like that. I don't want, cause the cards are not worth the same amount online. Um, in this case, magic arena is more like hearthstone, except there's no dusting. There's no dusting and crafting. Uh, there is crafting sort of there's wild cards are called that will let you craft cards of different rarities. So yeah, it's really cool that you can go play paper magic this weekend, enjoy that, and then come home and play some more of the new set this weekend at home if you want. So yeah. Cool. There you go, everybody. Uh, on the Patreon, I'll probably be asking Klaus for more questions and telling about my limited magic, the gathering experiences. Uh, so you can find that at patreon.com forward slash breaking the panel where we have updated all the videos that we have. And there's a few episodes missing here and there, but from episode 120 through today, you've got most of the videos there. And when I say today, you're listening to this on the podcast, the videos should go out at about the same time on Patreon. So go support the show, help us out. Patreon.com forward slash breaking the panel. You can also be a part of the show just like Kurt was over at btp at giantsizeteamup.com for the email at giantsizeteamup.com forward slash breaking the panel for the voicemail. You can go there and click the button. And you notice at all four of his things, we never told him once he was wrong. So, you know, it can happen. There's that. Oh, he's, he's definitely wrong in the head. <laughs> yeah, he ate lead paint chips as a kid. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm in danger. <laughs> hit us with your Twitch and uh, other stuff we can find you on. That'd be you, Klotz. Hmm? Hit us with your Twitch and the other stuff that you're hmm. on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was doing Ralph Wiggum. Uh, you can catch me on twitch.tv slash soapbox GSTU. Uh, follow me over there when I go live. I will be streaming some this week. Um, I really appreciate your support if you come out and hang out. Listen, it's low risk. There's not a lot of people in there. It's usually going to be like members of the network and friends of the show that'll pop in for a little while, but hopefully we build that, that audience up a little bit and we get to have some fun. Um, it's direct access. It's direct access. Yeah. We, yeah. we talk back, we chat back whenever, and I say weeks, I stream as well, you know, uh, as a whole, as a network, we will interact with you hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm not going to just stream magic. I don't want to give them a miss uh, representation. I'm going to stream some switch games and stuff too. Um, probably not going to jump into Octopath, but I picked up golf story which has, has a whole RPG to it that's supposed to be pretty fun. I'm looking to do that. Uh, I picked up Rayman Legends, as I talked about in the past. I'm going to play that on stream. Uh, and I, I mean, I got a whole bunch of Switch games. My, my Switch collection is growing. I got another game on the way from Amazon that was only 15 bucks. Um, that is supposed to be quite good, too. So, yeah, tune in. Check out the stream. I'm going to put in some hours. I want to qualify for affiliate, and I need your help to get there. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at SoapboxGSTU. I'll probably start checking that more often. I know the big joke has always been I only check it at DragonCon, but when you stream, you got to be on the social media grind. It wasn't, it wasn't a joke for a while. It was really, that's the only time. Oh, no, I really just, <laughs> yeah, I almost never check it. But, yeah, uh, hit me up over there if you want, and by all means, you know, if you got a game in mind, you want to see me play, you want to see, you know, my dumb dick run through something really stupid or difficult or whatever you know hit me up and yeah charles where can people find you my favorite all-time project right now is not even a show really it's just shenanigans and drinking and that's booze and borderlands on sunday night on twitch.tv forward slash fts beyond uh, you can find myself paul phil Kurt and the other guy. What's his name? Some kind of DM goes down in the DM. I don't know. The world's Dennis. most okayest DM. That's it, Dennis. Yeah, we all get together, and and we just have so much fun for three hours, just just laughing and hanging out and chatting with the chat room, and everybody gets to be a part of it. And it feels like just just the best parts of a family gathering, and none of the worst parts. So uh, that's fun. Of course, here every week. And the Pokemon Go on Thursday nights on twitch.tv forward slash Pokemon Go podcast and uh, other stuff. Rock out of podcasting all across social media. So check us all out there. So until next time, Chris, I poisoned Phil like you asked me to. So you're going to come back to the show now? Just, just check. Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team-Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel, and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com. <laughs>